I want to talk about it, but I don't know why. I can't bring myself to do it. I might cry. I stand and stare into the vast blue sky, hoping she's looking down on me with a smile. For today's episode, I want to talk about my mum, because today is her birthday. Now, listeners of the show will know my mum passed away suddenly two and a half years ago, and I've spoken about it on a couple of episodes. It ripped my heart out, and it took the soul from my body. And my mother was my whole life. She was my everything. She made me the person I am, and everything I do is to make her proud. Now, I usually find it really hard to talk about my mum, especially in the past tense, but I've had some gentle encouragement from those around me to do this episode. So here we are. I want to use my mum's story to inspire young people to aim high, to have belief in their ability despite their circumstances and background. Her story represents intersectionality perfectly, I feel, because racism should never really be viewed alone. It should be viewed in tandem with with classism, sexism, etc. My mum suffered the holy trinity of oppression, really. She was from a very working class background. She was a woman and she was a minority. My mum faced many barriers on her journey. And the key message of this following story is that you can turn what appears to be adversity to your advantage. Be the change you want to see in the world. Manjit Wilson was a remarkable woman whose story of success defies belief. It starts in a remote rural village of Kotran in the Punjab via Wolverhampton to the top of the Western banking world. This could be the stuff of novels and films. She was the youngest woman to head an investment bank in London at 37 years old and the first woman of ethnic origin to chair a FTSE 100 company. Mic drop. The Times described her as a trailblazer and she was second on the upstanding leaders list of the 100 leading ethnic minority executives in the UK and the US. A perfect role model and an inspirational figure for women and people from ethnic backgrounds. Now, I often forget that my mum was, uh, was born in India and had lived there until her family emigrated to England when she was just three years old. My mum's story was not silver spoon stuff. Her father was from farming stock and left for England before she was born, brimming with the promises of riches and a better life. My mother joined him three years later, as I say. My granddad landed in the industrial heartland of Wolverhampton and after securing employment and a base, he brought the family across. They lived in a tiny house just a stone's throw away from the famous Molyneux football ground where Wolverhampton Wanderers play. This location actually piqued my mother's curiosity in football and sport in general as she watched the fans streaming past her house on match days. And it meant that when she was actually older she could converse about sport with this deep knowledge fostered from this interest at an early age. A very useful asset in male-dominated circles. 
in that domestic environment, she had to share a bedroom with her three sisters. There was very little personal space. They had to share everything and work as a team every minute of every day. Teamwork was one of my mum's greatest strengths. Her parents had to go out to work for, for long hours with days upon days of hard graft in the local factories. My mum was left in charge of duties at home in loco parentis, if you, if you will. And from the tender age of seven, she had to cook, clean and dress her siblings. These responsibilities forced her to be a leader and it also made her very efficient and pragmatic. You know, these jobs had to be done before you could sit down in front of the TV. Now, because her parents spoke very little English, my mum was responsible for dealing with the outside world. So it meant she had to become this fantastic problem solver. She had to organise the whole family and she was usually three or four steps ahead of most people. My mum didn't actually speak a word of English until she went to the local school at five years old. And then she grew up to be bilingual, interchanging between English and Punjabi, depending on the situation. And I, I find it utterly incredible how one minute she could just be speaking to me in fluent English and just flip it, change and talk to the elders in my Indian family in, in fluent Punjabi. It is a sight to behold. She actually suffer, uh, suffered from a stammer in her teens. And it completely sapped her confidence. But instead of being deterred, she decided to practice speaking the words she struggled with until she perfected them. It rebuilt her confidence, but also ensured that she spoke clearly and without a traceable accent. This probably worked in her favour later in life, at uni, in the accountancy firm, the investment bank and the boardroom, as her contemporaries and peers would struggle to make judgments about her from her background and her skin colour, because it was assumed that she was one of them from private or public school stock. What this shows to me really is one has to play down being Asian to fit in to the culture of many of these firms. I'd like to think that that has changed at this time of speaking, but has it changed as much as we'd like? Probably not. You know, you have to downplay the fact that you're a minority to fit in, to assimilate. Assimilate or die, is what they say. And that's really sad, isn't it? That is really sad. And now, despite the assumptions that you might be making right now, my mum did not smash it academically. You know, the local comp in Wolverhampton didn't really allow for that. But in relative terms, she did excel at her school, uh, where 19 out of 2,000 students sat A-levels and only two went on to university, one of those being my mum. The teaching at A-level was poor, she said, and, and she effectively had to teach herself A-level physics. Now, that's pretty tough, I think. But what she learned was how to manage her time, to be self-motivated, to build the confidence to read technical info and teach herself. And this was the foundation for her success. Now, my mum was super competitive and, and she decided to apply for Oxford. Her attitude was basically, why couldn't she go? Aim high, right? She'd read about the different unis in the city library. Um, 
this was actually the only place she was allowed to visit by herself, uh, by the way, um, outside of her house. But there was no advice, you know, like we all have. Uh, no advice from parents, uh, wider family, friends, teachers. They didn't know. They had no idea. So she just had to rely on her own judgment. Again, something that's held her in very good stead over the years. She didn't actually get into Oxford, but she also told me she felt very uncomfortable with the tutors and, and the people she'd met there. You know, I think this will be from being looked down upon for being working class and being Asian, I have no doubt. Again, times have changed. This was 30, 40 years ago. But has it changed as much as we'd like? I'm not so sure. Now, being pragmatic, she went to the next choice, Bristol. She'd been given a lower offer, probably because of her background, and this actually proved to be a major turning point in her life. But interestingly, in 2017, she was contacted by Oxford to invite her to be interviewed so that they could explore why someone like her had slipped through the net. I'll watch my profanity here. Now at uni, I just want to talk about a couple of stories that my father told me because this is this is where my parents met was at Bristol Uni. Um, so one story was that they were gathered outside uh, Churchill Halls uh, as the freshers intake to have a photo, uh, and my dad heard uh, a bloke say, "Who's that little Indian girl?" Because obviously my mum stood out amongst the sea of white faces. You know, she didn't want to be different. But she was. Well, that little Indian girl went on to become an absolute colossus, didn't she? And in that foreign world, though, you've got to understand it was very unusual. And you had to be really strong to deal with the preconceptions. She had to watch and learn how to act in order to be accepted. Again, it links back to being forced to assimilate. It's something that I've done. And it's something that she had to do her whole life. My mum's approach to life was, you've got to think big. And she always told me to back myself. And it sounds simple, but it's a lot harder than you think to fully believe in your own capabilities. So after uni, she applied to Coopers and Librand, which is PwC now, and claimed a place. She sailed through all the exams and qualified as a chartered accountant. The world was her oyster. She then decided she wanted to go into investment banking, which is uh, a very uh, a challenging profession, we should say. But look, not only did my mum just work incredibly hard, but she also had immense intellect and excellent judgment. So it was the right call for her. But at that time, there were no role models or networks of support for my mum. No one to look up to or turn to for advice. But yeah, look, it's true. Some senior men in the bank recognised her talent and, and supported her for promotion, which is unusual. But it links to the fact that being a minority, you have to be much better than a white counterpart to stand out. You have to work three times as hard. My mum probably had to work 10 times as hard back then. Yeah, to stand out. And we all know that. And that's wrong. 
But away from work, I want to talk about the fact that she had to potentially have an arranged marriage. She uh, was a girl in a, a Sikh family and she was acutely aware that arranged marriage was, was lingering over at the time when she's starting her professional career. Especially as a female as well, you know, she was under even more pressure to conform to those traditional norms. So when my dad, who's, who's white, some Staley Bridge, working class Manchester, you know, when they started going now, my dad was sort of aware of the background, but because he came from a completely different culture, he didn't really understand the implications. <laughs> I remember he told me when he when he first went went round to visit the uh, her family, he was sort of cracking jokes and, and trying to. <laughs> You know, former bonded them and they were just having absolutely none of it. Just no laughs, just sitting there sort of stone-faced. And I, I love to imagine that, like the awkwardness is just, uh, I love it. Um, but yeah, look, my mum and dad were soulmates and uh, he always supported her uh, to the best of his abilities in whatever she wanted to do. I'm really proud that my father did this because it was so unusual he committed to supporting the domestic situation by getting home early to look after us and organise the home life. Uh, when my mum decided she wanted to go back to work after maternity leave. Now we know the, the phrase, behind every great man is a great woman. Behind every great woman is a great man to inverse those traditional gender norms. Now, there were no shortcuts to my mum's success, just hard work and taking her chances as they pre presented themselves. My mum was very proud to be English and she really appreciated the opportunities that she had been given, such as free education, to have the freedom to succeed at what she wanted to do. Now, she was a nationalist in a very similar way that I am being grateful for the opportunities that are there in this country, but wanting much better from it. And this is how we need to reframe nationalism in this country, towards wanting better, not just blindly following, not just blindly believing that we're better than other countries because we're born here, but because we have this opportunity, but we want more. We want to take it further. Now, I remember one story here, which is very important, because only once did she seriously question whether the culture and attitudes that she came up against in the banking world meant that it may not be the place for her. So she came home one day absolutely furious. This is to my father and what he told me, uh, basically about a comment that had been made to her by the head of the bank, where they said... Your skirts are too short. <laughs> you know, it's the all too typical kind of undermining remark that many career women have received from senior men in organisations who wield the power. And my mum could just not accept that this was how things were. And she never forgot that occasion. And she used this anger to drive herself on to become the person at the head of the organisation itself and whom no one would speak to in that way again. 
At 37 years old, she became the youngest ever woman to be head of an investment bank, having had two kids, myself and Lily, along the way. And I still don't really understand this. How had she succeeded in such a blue-blooded, traditional English merchant bank like Kleinwalt Benson? It was just full of public school men where diversity was considered to be going to Winchester rather than easy. Old school. And she rose through the ranks to be their boss. That genuinely defies belief. But that was just my mum. You know, if you knew her, you would not be surprised. She had no fear. She had something special. Charisma. What I like to call the source. She had the source. She always wanted to strive for more than what was expected of her. After investment banking, she, she became a full-time mum. She did the school runs, she did shopping, housework. You know, she was a brilliant mother. But full-time, she just could not do. She needed projects to keep the brain occupied. You know, she, she came to all sporting events. She was always there. And that's what's so incredible is like, not only did she have this career, but she was always there for me and my sister. And you know the most powerful thing, and I do apologise if I tear up here, but she actually, she actually sacrificed her career for, for me and Lily. She, we lived in London for the first 10 years of my life and uh, my parents felt that they weren't seeing me and my sister enough. They weren't seeing us grow up. And so my mum and my dad made the decision to move so they could see us more. So they could be with us and, and, and be there while we grow up in our teens. And I don't know how many parents would do that. That's why I'm forever indebted to them. That's why I always believe family first. We got through there, just about. We got through. <clears throat> Now, obviously, my mum had built this formidable reputation in business. So she rekindled her contacts and was invited into non-exec positions. And her reputation snowballed from there until she actually became the chairwoman of Provident Financial. And with this promotion came a blaze of publicity. And it was a great fit coming from her background because it meant that she had a good understanding of the circumstances of the customer base. Now, my dad told me this story about when they attended a dinner in honour of her becoming chairwoman and all the previous living chairs, past and present, were there with their wives and they were all fuddy-duddy old rars. And so the contrast represented a great change in styles, a new era. And it shows that it can be done. My dad again told me a funny story at one of the corporate off-site events. During the day, the board would convene and, and the wives might go shopping in the day. And my dad would be left to play golf or, or do some work on his own. He was the only husband there, not on the board. And that's greatness right there. Putting aside the male ego completely to support the woman that he loved. That's something that we should all strive for, as men, right? 
And sadly, yeah, my mum passed away suddenly uh, overnight, two and a half years ago. And I've still relived that moment every day. I miss her so much. And you can see just what an incredible woman she was. Like really incredible, like a one in a trillion. <laughs> incredible. Because it was all stacked against her. There was no way she should have done what she did. The racial barriers, the, mis the rife misogyny, can you imagine? 30, 40 years ago in these firms. But all those barriers, she just smashed straight through. Be the change. Now recently we, we as a family, set up the Manjit Wollstone Fund in her memory uh, to create opportunity for others to follow in her footsteps. First, by providing ladders where they're needed to help young people, targeting those from a wide range of socioeconomic and ethnic backgrounds to climb to that next level. And second, to improve the world that we live in by increasing social diversity throughout organisations right up to the top. Because that's what needs to happen. I really hope that you found this tale to be inspiring. It fits in with our series on race currently that we're doing. My mum, my mum was an incredible woman. And I, yeah, I want her story to inspire all to believe in yourself. Don't let others' expectations of you define you. Because we can do this. We can bring about change. We can do this. That story shows that. As always, um, I'll just do a, a few plugs at the end of this episode. Make sure you go and check out the TNS blog at www.tnsblog.com, nice and simple, to go and see articles that have been written by, by guests, by myself, by, by lots of people, really, who've, you know, on topics they enjoy, on topics that actually lead on from what's discussed on this show as well. Uh, and if you enjoy the work that TNS are doing, then if you could go over to Apple Podcasts, this is if you have an iPhone, of course, and leave us a nice rating and review. It helps us grow in the charts that way and get our message out to as many people as possible. And obviously follow, subscribe on Spotify and Apple as well. I really hope you found this episode to be, yeah, inspiring, sad, ultimately, but inspiring because we can be the change. We can bring about the change. I believe that. That's what my mum stood for. I'll be back for the final episode of this series on Monday. <laughs>